Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Elixir Mix. This week on the panel, we have Alan Weimar. Hello, hello. And me, a small panel today. I'm Sasha Wolf, and our guest this week is Andy Coleman. Did I pronounce your name correctly there, Randy? Uh, it's Randy. Randy. Yeah, sorry, I, I, said, I said Andy, didn't I? Okay, Rand, Randy Coleman, sorry for that. So, uh, why don't you tell us why we invited you on the show and why everybody likes you? <laughs> I don't know if anybody likes me. No, it's kidding. Uh, I came on the show to talk about some work I did last fall and a blog post I wrote about it where I work at Influx Data. We started using the ConfigCat feature flagging service and there was no Elixir client for it. And most of InfluxDB is in Go and Rust, and but we have part of like a, a closed source part of our stack is in Elixir, and we needed a client for ConfigCat for our application. So we ended up uh, building one internally in our app, and then uh, extracted it and worked with the ConfigCat folks and another guy from another company on creating an Elixir SDK for that feature flagging service. So that's what I'm here to talk about. Did you work your tail off to get that senior developer gig just to realize that senior dev doesn't actually mean dream job? I've been there too. My first senior developer job was at a place where all of our triumphs were the bosses and all the failures were ours. The second one was a great place to continue to learn and grow, only for it to go under due to poor management. And now I get job offers from great places to work all the time. Not only that, but the last job interview I actually sat in was a discussion about how much my podcast had helped the people interviewing me. If you're looking for a way to get into your dream job, then join our Dev Heroes Accelerator. Not only will we help you get the kind of exposure that makes you attractive to your dream employer, but you'll be able to ask them for top dollar as well. Check it out at devheroesaccelerator.com. Yeah, so, so it's like a collaboration of three different companies to create that open source SDK, basically, right? It is, yep. It's pretty cool, to be honest. And I'm not sure if a, like, of a similar scenario where something like that happened like across companies collaborating on this open source I, thing. I think it happens in open source quite a bit, but yeah, maybe not everywhere. Yeah, but, but. yeah, I mean, I can see how like companies from over time to time, some folks from there, some folks from there, but I mean, this was basically being kicked off from three different companies. So that, that's pretty cool. So maybe why don't you take a time and like explain to our listeners what feature flags are and what like config cat does on a nutshell because i mean some um, some people might already know but some maybe don't so do not leave these people hanging <laughs> all right so for feature flagging uh, the idea is especially with like a software as a service application you can't be shipping beta versions of things to people and to everybody at once it's it's one service and so you need a way that you to try out new features if you're not sure how well they're going to work you want to performance test them you want to a b test them or anything like that what you typically do is you essentially have conditional code it's like if something is true run this path otherwise run this other path and so a feature flagging service is a way to kind of centralize the management of that and so you've got code that says hey is this flag on if it is then i want to run this new code if it's off then i'll run this the old code and that kind of idea and then so configcat is a commercial product i am not affiliated with them other than we're a customer of them but the way their service works is interesting they have you know web ui for configuring all your feature flags but the actual evaluation of everything is done locally in an sdk so if you're in javascript it's in the browser in your javascript client or if it's elixir you know we tend we run it on our server in elixir but all the evaluation is done locally which means you're not having to wait for a request to configcat on every every 
action that your application takes. You've got a local copy of the configuration that you evaluate locally. What that means, the, the SDK is a little more complex because it has to do all, all the feature flag evaluation. ConfigCat isn't just simple on-off flags. You can do uh, different kinds of targeting. So you can say, oh, if the user's email address matches this pattern, then they get the new feature. So you can target specific customers, say. Or you can do percentage-based targeting, say, oh, I want 25% of my users to have this flag. And then the, the algorithm for determining if a, if a user falls in that percentage is deterministic. So the same user always gets the flag on or, or always off. Um, and various rules like that, you can target on pretty much any customer attribute you want. So it's it's pretty flexible service. And it, it's fairly efficient because you're not making a web request for every flag evaluation. You do that locally in your application. Yeah, that's also more stable, right? More resilient because if, for example, ConfigCat yeah. has like a downtime, you're not bound to that. Exactly. Um, yeah, the only disadvantage I could see is that, of course, then you have your whole shebang of cache invalidation. So at some point, you might want to change something quickly, but it might take a while to arrive in the application. But I think that's manageable in the case of feature flags. Yeah, and so the, all the ConfigCat SDKs are pretty much identical in terms of functionality. So there's, they have like a cache policy that you can choose. So there's a, a lazy policy that just fetches the config when you need it. There's mm -hmm. an auto polling policy. So it, you just set up an interval and it'll pull a new config and it uses e-tag. So it's fairly efficient. If the config hasn't changed, nothing happens. And then there's a manual policy when you refresh it when you want to. And so you can choose which of those policies you want. And then uh, they actually also provide a webhook so that when the config changes, it could send a, request your application to say, hey, the config changed, and then you could reload it at that time. So there's yeah, okay. all kinds of options for how you refresh that cache. Nice. Yeah, that's, that's nice. That's, that sounds nice. Um, I wonder, like, uh, in the, your blog post, you, you talk about, like, how you basically conceived of, like, doing this SDK for yourself inside of InfluxDB, right? And then maybe at some point open, open sourcing it. So what prompted you to, like, for example, even go down that route of, like, doing it with ConfigCat and creating this SDK so SDK so yourself compared, for example, to, I don't know, hosting, using, like, a self-hosted solution, right? I do remember there's, for example, an Elixir feature flag library called FunnelFlex which I've always like loved the name of. And that I think uses something like Redis as a, as a backing store. So of course you need a Redis instance then, but like, I would like to hear your, your thoughts on like how you, how you arrived at using something like ConfigCat instead of then maybe using something off the shelf or something self-hosted because it did involve you having to write this SDK, right? It did. So I was not actually involved in that decision. And like I said, most of the InfluxDB platform is in Go. And so we made the decision to use ConfigCat for our platform side. And so for our closed source application, that's kind of part of the, the whole cloud service. That's the only part that's in Elixir. So we're kind of, we wanted to be able to share feature flags with the rest of the company because some yeah, of the okay. features cross application boundaries. And so we needed something that was going to be multi-language and, and kind of the rest of the company decided, yeah, we're going to use ConfigCat. And so if we wanted to play in that world, we needed an Elixir SDK for it. So okay. that's why we yeah, didn't do something sense. Elixir native because you know we have to interact with a lot of Go code. Or Go yeah, okay. We don't directly interact with the Go code, but yeah. So we we needed something that worked you know across multiple languages. Um, there's yeah, another okay. guy in our company that's actually contributed a lot back to the the Go SDK for ConfigCat as well. He did a lot of performance work on it and stuff. So we've kind of contributed a fair bit to ConfigCat at our company, which is kind of cool. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. 
Yeah. So it's when you have this case of like, yo, you want to use this tool across your stack, then yeah, I can, yeah. can see why it makes sense. Yeah. I, I do know that there are other services out there offering something similar. I, I do know about Launch Darkly, for example, but I don't know what their coverage is and like how how they how they do that with their SDKs. If it's like something similar or if it's maybe more web request based. Yeah, I, so I didn't you, look into that one because, like I said, I, I wasn't involved in the yeah. original decision for ConfigCat, but I'm pretty sure the people doing it looked at kind of the variations or the options, and, and this is the one they chose. So I was yeah, okay. kind of happy to go along with that. But it's, yeah, it's it's a neat tool. It works pretty well for us. It's it's really nice that you can change feature flag values and you know you get a new cache version of the config, and suddenly the new feature's on, and you don't have to redeploy. You don't have to restart anything. It's just, it's just there. I mean, there's a few things where you know if you're starting up gen servers when your application starts up you've got to think about how to do that but most of the feature flags can be evaluated dynamically kind of every time a request comes in check the feature flag and away you go yeah, and I'm, I'm curious to hear like what features of otp did you use for, for this sdk i mean i did see like in the documentation you started in part of, as part of your supervision tree and put like the the sdk key in there but so, so what does it use to like cache the feature flag configuration to all just a bunch of gen servers probably more gen servers than there should be but uh, <laughs> And in order to keep the architecture matching the other SDKs, it kind of seemed to be what, what needed to be done. So the cache is a gen server that keeps the, the config in state and, and does the evaluation of the rules. There's like the auto polling policy is a separate gen server that just runs periodic requests. And actually, because you don't want like a request for a new config to block feature flag evaluation, that act, we actually spin off a, an async task to actually go fetch the config and then store it back in the cache. But yeah, there's, I think, three or four gen servers in there doing the various parts of, of the application. So um, a lot more involved than the original client we wrote inside our app because we didn't need all the features. But to make it a real official config head SDK and co contribute it back to them, we, we kind of needed to make sure that our library matched the other clients so that they could maintain it properly. Uh, they're not Elixir experts at config cat. They're, they're learning it so they can maintain this library, but they want they want the structure of all the SDKs to match and the feature set to match. So we kind of did, once we extracted it from our application and contributed it, then we, we did a bunch of work to kind of bring it into parity with the other SDKs. So you said that like the folks from ConfigCAD are not Elixir experts, let's say that. So maybe you can like tell the story of, of how that happened that you like at the end of the day so out uh, open source this, because I do remember from your blog post where you say, okay, we had this plan, right, to build this, and at some point open sources, and then life happened. So, so yeah. we didn't. And then you, at some point, like, you did what what what, what happened to, to prompt you to actually then go ahead and then maybe contribute to, to ConfigCat? So I like to participate in Hacktoberfest every year. It's a kind of a an effort to get people contributing to open source and hey, you get a free t-shirt. So, so uh, I was looking for a project to do for Hacktoberfest last year, and this is one, you know, it's been on our, we've wanted to do it for a while. Um, Influx, Influx Data is like an open source first company, like InfluxDB itself is an open source product we offer as a cloud service as well. But so we do a lot of open source work. And so this is something we always plan to contribute back. And so I figured, oh, this will make a great Hacktoberfest project. I was going to, you know, extract it into a, a repo in our Influx Data org. And just as I was starting to look into doing that, I realized, wait a minute, ConfigCat has an Elixir SDK repo on their in their GitHub org now, which they never had before. I'd even emailed their support saying, hey, do you have an Elixir client? And they said, no, we don't really have a lot of interest in that. So, um, but then I went and looked and there's this empty, essentially empty repo sitting there. So I opened an issue on the repo and said, hey, do you want some help with this? Because you know, we've done this work. We'd like to, to help out if we can. And it turns out uh, Igor Escobar from another company had also pinged them about the same thing. And so we ended up 
kind of coordinating. And so we took the work that we had done inside our app, extracted it out as a starting point. And then Igor and I, it was largely Igor and I worked on kind of bringing it up to like full parity with the other SDKs as part of that process. So I just happened to stumble across this empty repo that they just created like two days before. Uh, very serendipitous. Yeah, but was, like a, I mean, like our plan was to kind of <laughs> open source it on our org and then offer it back to ConfigCat if they wanted to host it on their stuff. But they don't, they'd kind of just started the effort at that point. So I was able to think our code was able to jumpstart it quite a bit. Like yeah, I said, nice. still needed a fair bit of work and Igor contributed a lot as well. So it's good. Do you know if like if Igor and like, if they already had some kind of maybe small dish SDK themselves or was it then from there on basically all iterating on what you already wrote? I don't think they had anything on their, on their end yet. Okay. I think they were just about to start on the effort. I, I, I'm not positive about that, but... Yeah, they didn't have any code. So uh, it basically is an evolution of, of what our team had originally wrote. So like, I'm, I'm the person who actually did the extraction and kind of finishing it off. But there are several people on our team at Influx Data that contributed when we were kind of growing it inside our application. Yeah, okay. Yeah, pretty cool. I um, don't want to take all the credit for work I didn't do. So. <laughs> I, I won't tell anybody if you won't. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but one important question, did, did you get your Oktoberfest t-shirt? So, oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> great. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that sounds pretty fun. I, I also did participate in Oktoberfest a few times, uh, but nothing of that scope ever happened. So it's pretty cool to see how, how, how something like that can help the open source community to grow and like also like grow together, right? Yeah. Yeah, I've got lots more stuff I want to do. I'll have to figure out what's what's going to happen with Oktoberfest this year because that's a few days away as we're recording this. So one of the things we'd like to actually build is an, an Elixir client for InfluxDB itself. There are some third-party things that work with InfluxDB1, not much for InfluxDB2. And it's something that we've talked about internally is like, you know, do we want to have an Elixir client for this? Mm -hmm. And love to build one. It's just a matter of finding the time to actually do it and amongst all your other work. So, but like I said, you know, we do a lot of open source. So it's it's something we're definitely interested in doing. So. Yeah, I was looking at the interface of the config cat. It's it's pretty cool. I mean, it it seems a lot like uh, system uh, system cat get, get end where you can just apply like a default value if there's nothing set. I thought that's kind of cool. I almost wish that this thing would work directly with like the application get env because like that's how I usually do a lot of my kind of uh, setting up of kind of things. Like if I want to turn something off, I usually use that. I'll just do put env and just put something there for the time being. I thought that'd be kind of cool if there's a way that you could like maybe pull a configuration from from there, but use application get to kind of remain a little bit more neutral. But maybe yeah, that for, kind of for simple flags, you could do that. But the, it's the dynamic stuff that's trickier. Like if you're targeting specific, you know, customer attributes or email addresses or even the percentage based evaluation, it's not a simple on off flag. It's a for this user, is it on or off kind of thing. That feels like it would be a little harder to do with application get in, although I'm interested in the idea if, if we could find a way to make it work. Hey, folks, it's Charles Maxwood, and I just wanted to jump on real quick and let you know that I am putting together a podcasting course. I get asked all the time. I've been coaching people for the last six months. How do you start a podcast? How do you put it together? What do I need in order to get it going, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Um, I've put together the curriculum. And I did it through coaching a whole bunch of people. And now I want to share it with you. You can go check out the course. It's actually going to be a masterclass. It's going to be a four-week masterclass where I actually walk you through the entire process of launching a terrific-sounding podcast and putting together content that people want to listen to. And you can find it at podcastbootcamp.io. Plus, I think you have to use Adam Keys, too, which could be potentially big i think Absolutely. right for config yeah, for and probably i mean you can yeah, you, you, what, what you could do, but you, you could do the, put like a map 
inside of one application dot env key, then use string keys there, right? But then again, at the end of the day, that's also ephemeral, right? The application restarts and all of that is gone. Which yeah. I especially like with service like uh, Config Cat and Launch Darkly, and also like the self hosted alternatives where you put stuff into Redis. That's like the whole idea of like, okay, I, I don't, I don't have to care about my service restarting and like losing this configuration. So yeah. Okay, so Randy, uh, you, you also told us that there's some other open source work you, you've been pretty proud of. And I mean, and you said that in FluxDB, you have a bunch of open source work happening, but there's also something you've uh, contributed to the Elixir community. Do you want to tell us about that? Oh, sure. Yeah. So I we used Mixed Test Watch, which is a library by Louis Pilfold, who you, you had on the podcast a couple of months ago talking about Gleam. We've used, I've used that for years. Um, it just let, it's basically you run it. And it watches for changes in your files. And when, when a file changes, it reruns your tests for you automatically, which is really nice. But if you want to like focus on particular files or you want to run only stale tests, so mix test minus minus stale, which that one, if you're not familiar with that, it runs tests for all of the files that have changed since the last time your tests has, have passed. So you run all your tests, they're green, and then you change one file, it figures out which tests are affected by that change and then runs only those tests. But if you want to, change to stale mode or to run only failed tests or focus on a particular file, you have to stop and restart mixed test watch all the time. I've done a bunch of work in the JavaScript world as well. And there's a test runner there called Jest, and it has a, what they call interactive watch mode, which while your tests are running, you can, you can use different keyboard commands to say, oh, just focus on this particular file or, or this particular test name or only run change tests since my last commit kind of thing. And I missed that. And so I thought, well, what if I could combine the two? What if I could do something like that for mixed test watch? And I had the idea and I had a little bit of free time as uh, earlier this spring. And so I thought, well, let me try and build something like that. And I contacted Louis to see if he wanted this as like an addition to mixed test watch. And he, he responded and said, no, I'm really focused on Gleam. So if you just want to build it as a separate library, do that instead. So I did that. And so what it is, it's called mixed test interactive, which, you know, I'm very original with my naming there, of course. But I don't know, it's a trade-off, right? You want really <laughs> cool names for your things. But then when you make a cool name, it's like nobody knows what it does or what it is. And it's really hard to say unless you're really good at marketing, which I'm not. So I, I just went with a very like kind of pedestrian name, but it communicates exactly what it does. So it's uh, very similar to Mixed Test Watch. It's actually based on Mixed Test Watch. So I, I kind of cloned the repo and adapted it. Uh, you start it up, and then what you can do is you can type commands. So you can you know, hit the S command and it'll run only stale tests or A to run all tests or F to run failed tests. Um, there's also a P command for pattern and you can type kind of a pattern, like a subset of a file name. So, oh, I want to run all the tests related to identity. So I go P, identity, enter. So you don't have to do a full path to the test file. You can do that if you want to, like mixed test does. But, and then it'll run all of the test files that match that pattern. And so you can kind of focus down on a subset of tests and then you know, go back and run all, all of your tests at the end before you commit, that kind of thing. So you don't, I find you don't have to stop and restart the application all the time because you can switch modes just with a command. And so we're finding it pretty handy where we are. Just found out there's a bug with the P command in umbrella applications, which I need to fix, which I'll be working on as soon as I can. But other than that, it's it's been a super handy a little tool for us. And if so if you use mixed test watch and you want the interactive mode on top of it, feel free to try it out. If you don't, and stick with mixed text mixed test watch, it's a great library as well. The one thing that's different, mixed test watch lets you configure other commands to run. So you can run like credo or whatever else along with your tests. Um, mixed test interactive doesn't support that. 
because the interactive mode is really geared towards mixed test. But the idea is a mixed test has a bunch of command line flags. You can pass it minus minus stale or minus minus failed or file name, file name and line number kind of things. And so mixed test interactive basically tries to do dynamic management of those flags. But every time you run your tests, it actually runs mixed test with whichever flags you've configured with the interactive commands. So it's, it's really a wrapper around mixed test and r- runs mixed test in the background actually to do, to do the work. So it's very geared to mixed test and managing the command line arguments to mixed test. The one thing we don't support yet is tags. I would love to do that, but kind of the order of the include and the exclude and the only flags is very, it's order dependent. And so I have a good way to do the commands. Like, so if somebody says, oh, I want to include this and exclude that or only this, well, what order should I pass those flags to mixed test in to get that to be what you actually want it to be? So I haven't figured that out. If anybody's, I mean, we don't use tags a lot where I am. So if anybody's got great ideas on how best to do tags, all ears, because I'd love to add that feature as well. Yeah, I can't help you with that because I also don't really use tags. I always get quite angry when my whole test suit takes longer to run than like 10 seconds. So. <laughs> I agree. So, <laughs> so that's like the only use case where I could see text being useful, right? Like having maybe slower, more slowy integration test level things. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, so. I will say we, we do use tags for that. Now we have some end-to-end tests that are slower and, and need more stuff running. And so we, we tend to exclude those by default. But mixed test interactive actually respects if your config says exclude these tests, then it'll exclude mm-hmm. them as well. So, and maybe for like understanding what's the difference between like something like mixed test watch and mixed test interactive and for example using like a command line tool which like reruns the same command when certain things change, right? Because they have those exist too. Enter, for example, is something which exists. I'm gonna post a link to that because I it's a tool I person very fond of. Uh, but like what does mixed test interactive slash watch do differently, which might be more interesting to folks? So mixed test watch, I think essentially works like those tools do, runs the same mixed test command every time, although it lets you configure other commands as well if that's if you need that. Like if you want to run credo or dialyzer or something like that in a watch mode, you can. And then mixed test interactive, the advantage of that is that you can change the arguments you're passing to mixed test dynamically. So if you're using one of those uh, file system watching tools, you're going to run the same, you're going to run mixed test or mixed test minus minus stale or whatever. And that's all you can run. You can't change that as, as you go. So that's, I would say that's the difference there. Okay. Does it like also restart the application every time? Or is the application like, does it keep running when you, when like something changes in a bit? For example, use like the IAX recompile thing. So... No, it shells out and runs mixed test every time. So, and mixed test is going to restart your application. I would love to get it so that you could just automatically reload. I looked at that briefly, didn't find a way to do it where you could change the the command line arguments you're passing on each restart. Mixed test actually has an option that you can have it listen as well on standard in, and it'll rerun the tests every time uh, something changes. You can okay. basically take one of the file system watchers, and I just saw a tweet or a blog post about this recently, but you can basically have the file system watcher trigger mixed test to rerun itself. And it, I believe it does it internally in a way that doesn't have to reload everything. So it, it is faster, but you can't change the arguments that, that were passed to it when, you, when that it makes sense. responds makes like sense. that. So that's the advantage to mixed test interactive. If your if your test suite takes five seconds and you just want to run mixed test all the time, you can totally do the other things. But if you want to be switching like oh I want to only run stale or only failed or only these these set of files, then that's where mixed test interactive starts to make more sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. 
it would, would be pretty cool to see like something which which does not require you to restart but i can also then see you enter this area of like okay it's like basically kind of akin to hot code upgrades and what if you change i don't know like some like the inlet callback of your service like all that yeah. kind of stuff so you, you enter this area of edge cases which which can be very painful <laughs> yep but yeah but, there's always like yeah it works 95 of the time but that five percent will just kill you every time yeah yeah, yeah exactly it would be pretty cool to, to see how this could work. So like for just, yeah. even if only from an academic point of view. Yeah. yeah that'd be neat. Alan, do you so want yeah. to ask anything? <laughs> I'm just looking through it. It seems like something I may want to use because I'm making quite a lot of changes to a project right now. And it'd be nice to be able to just keep running these things. And I do remember that Mixtest does have some watch feature, but I, I never used it. But it would yeah. be nice to be able to trigger certain tests. Some things may be broken, and, and and I was just thinking back when you guys were talking about the the uh, the tags. Yeah, I usually use it to skip certain tests for certain reasons, like some that are kind of integration tests with outside services. Mm-hmm. So that's a yeah. big one. Yeah. Yeah, and because it just runs mixed test under the hood, it respects all of the mixed test config that you've already got set up, which is nice. Yeah, something that was really interesting when I was working on this. So the just interactive mode, if you've ever played with that, it responds to keystrokes immediately. So like you know the the F command for running failed tests, you hit F and it immediately starts running failed tests. Turns out that Elixir and Erlang don't actually have a way to do immediate mode input like that, like the C equivalent to the get C or read one character and respond to it. There isn't, I couldn't find a way to do that in Elixir hmm. or like this doesn't exist. You always have to hit enter afterwards, which I was disappointed by because I wanted kind of the more immediate response. But and what, what's there works really well. But I was, I was really surprised that just didn't exist. There isn't a way to like one keystroke. The only thing I could find is is to use like Elixir wrapper around the curses library to to get immediate keystroke feedback, which you know would have caused potential cross-platform issues on Windows and things like that. So I didn't want to go down that road, but I just found it fascinating that Erlang and Elixir does not have like the equivalent of a C get C command, which that just really surprised me for some reason. Yeah, but that's interesting. But I mean, uh, Hectoberfest is coming around again, so maybe you can like make an OTP pull request to add this. <laughs> that's not my wheelhouse, but yeah, <laughs> definitely cool to have. I've done a lot of things. I'm, so like, uh, I, 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 asked, I was just say, I wanted to ask. Like, I was just looking at the repos, like going through the code of this project. The other one, is it like a rule that every commit message has to have a, an emoticon, or is that just? <laughs> it seems like. All of the commit messages have an emoji. <laughs> I had a so I'm, I actually used to think emojis were stupid and silly and and not useful. And I worked with a guy who is really fond of them. And what I found is that they actually communicate a lot in very little space. So he started using like in log messages, and I found reading the logs was so much better because your mind recognizes the pictures and the patterns. And so there's actually a uh, a thing called Gitmoji, which has a whole bunch of it's. I won't call it a standard, but it's like a, a guide for like for different kinds of commits, use different kinds of emojis. So there's a, there's a project called conventional commits where you have like feet and bug or fix and all that kind of stuff. But but there's also Gitmoji. And so he got me introduced to that. And I actually found it really handy for just reading through lists of commits. It's like, oh, this was a bug fix and this is a new feature and this is a performance improvement and this is, you know, a work in progress thing. And so I've started using it since then because I actually found found it to be a little more recognizable. And actually just got our team started using them. I've been at Influx for almost two years, but we just decided to to start using them on our repo as well because people tend to like it. So yeah, it's it's a it's a fun thing. It's not a not I just, a requirement. I just can imagine you kind of like striking down on the new guy, like, listen, man, we use emojis in this company. Okay. You have to play by the rules. We need we need a pencil with a piece of paper if you can be writing documentation, all right? We gotta it's really coming down hard on the new <laughs> the new guy about using this kind of Yeah, no, it's it's not that 
that strict, but it's, I don't know, it's, it's kind of fun. And actually I find it useful just, you know, looking through the commits and adds a little bit of color. And, and like I said, I was, I was the kind of guy that's like, emojis are just stupid. And they're actually, I think we're just going back to hieroglyphics now or something as a society, but, but yeah, no, they actually do communicate quite a bit. I find if, if you know the, if you have the secret decoder ring anyway, they communicate pretty well. So actually I do, I do like this a lot. The only thing I don't like is like a lot of times I'm using, I'm not actually using GitHub and stuff. So that, is a problem or if you go if you use git log you don't get those pictures right it depends on your terminal but depends uh, on the terminal yeah. oh, okay. i, 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 have, know I have emojis it's like yeah it's, I mean, it's required at this point <laughs> i use iterm on on os 10 and uh, on mac os or what they they keep renaming it on mac os and they tend to work there there's a few that don't but most mostly they do so to know that's that's super interesting like i do use emojis all the time like i'm post communication right because i mean text does not convey tone and stuff like with the usual <laughs> issue just just to convey that but i've never considered to use it in like something like like block messages or git commits that, that's super interesting I'll yeah i've never had before either so uh shout out to nate that i used to work with who got me hooked on them uh, yeah they're kind of fun and actually, I mean, if it was just fun, I'm not sure I'd be as interested, but I actually did find the value in them, especially like you watch your application start up and you see the log messages go by and you start to recognize patterns and you notice when the pattern's off. So, I mean, anything that helps you notice anomalies or, or things like that, um, is, I find super helpful. So, yeah, yeah, I can imagine like just to, to give your brain just a little bit of extra help to like to find what you're looking for at the end of the day. Right. Okay. So to circle back maybe to, to where we started with like the SDK of, of ConfigCAD and also with like the open source work with Mixed Test Interactive. So where do you see these projects heading? Is there like something you would like to do in, in the near future, maybe in the far future, like some kinds of improvements you would really be itching to do? Yeah. So the ConfigCAD SDK, I think, is largely complete. I expect they'll evolve their service over time and we'll need to add new features to it as that happens. So there's not a lot left to do there, I don't think. We're we're pretty much, we're, I mean, we are at feature parity with the other SDKs. And mm-hmm. like I said, they like to keep all their SDKs very consistent so that people can be sure they're getting the same features everywhere. In terms of mixed test interactive, I mentioned I need to fix the umbrella project bug that I found with the P command. I'd love to get the tag support in there. I just don't know what that needs to look like yet. The other thing I'd actually like to do is integrate file name completion. So you could be start to type a file name, hit tab and have it autocomplete. There's actually support for that built into some IEX stuff that looks like I should be able to use. I just haven't had time to work on it yet. So that's kind of the biggest enhancements there that I want. If there was an obvious way to add support for other things like Mixed Credo or something like that, I'd look at that as well. Like Mixed Test Watch does support that. It's weird because it passes all the same command line flags to all the applications, which doesn't make sense. They don't all support the same flags. But it does work if you just run Mixed Test Watch and you've got your config set up with a bunch of different runners. It'll run them all. So if I could find a decent way to do that, I'd do that there. So those are kind of the big enhancements I'd like on Mixed Test Interactive. Yeah, cool. And then the other big project that we'd love to get started on is an Elixir client for InfluxDB. So that's a bigger project. But Any ETA on that? So, so no, <laughs> I don't even have an ETA on starting that. We've, I mean, and it might be that we just contribute to, like there is, we're aware of a third-party project, which is slipping my mind at the moment, that is, it works with InfluxDB too, but only in 1.x compatibility mode, as far as I know. Oh, okay. um, so maybe adding full 2.0 support to that instead as an option. But yeah, that's the thing. We just, we haven't got the bandwidth on our team to, to start on just yet. I mean, we obviously make calls to InfluxDB from within our application, but that's just using HTTP requests because it's got a full, you know, RESTful API. We just use that directly rather than having a client that wraps it. But it'd be nice to have an Elixir client that made it easier to work with as well. So Yeah, cool. Alan, do you have anything 
you'd like us to cover before we go to picks? No, I quite like this. Like I said, I'm going to give it a spin and see if I enjoy it. Yeah, and you know, if you find something yeah. that's not working right, let me know. And I like I like it to be useful for people. So the big thing is I got a lot life. of people. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, sorry I, I got a lot of people on my team using VS Code, and I'm using IntelliJ. Where IntelliJ, I can just like click and say run this specific test. And for VS Code, I don't think there's any kind of extension yet. Where you there is actually, yeah. Is there? there is. Let me find it real quick because I've got it installed. I don't use it for running the tests because I just use Mixed Test and Traffic. Yeah, it's called Elixir Test by Samuel Porteous. And you can, the thing I use it for mostly is to jump between your test and your code files. There's a, a keyboard shortcut for that. But you can run all the tests on a file or run the test at the cursor, run all the tests in a folder, or run your entire test suite. It's got commands for all those that you can bind to keystrokes. So there is an, a VS Code extension for it. Which it. I've been looking for something like that too. Uh, yeah. Do you book, maybe you can put it in the chat and then we can link it in the show notes because yep. it yeah. might be also interesting to some listeners. Let's see if I can get it. Just posted it. it. I just oh, posted it. it. Cool. I think so. Yeah, but I don't. I don't see it has a click click to run necessarily, but I do see that there's keystrokes. Yeah, there's keystrokes, or I mean, you can you do the command shift P, whatever command like you can in VS Code all the time. Okay. Or control shift P, or if you're on Windows, I think it is. Windows. Who uses that? There are people who do. Not me, <laughs> but there are people who do. And yeah, that's one of the things. Actually, that was an interesting thing about doing mixed test interactive. Is mixed test watch has an open bug. Um, doesn't quite work the same on Windows, and that, so I fixed that bug as part of my conversion over to mixed test interactive. So if you're trying to run mixed test watch on Windows and it's not doing what you want, mixed test interactive might be a better option for you. I even fired up an old Windows VM to be able to test it to make sure it was working right. So it's been a while. Now let's see what the next version of Mac OS does. I don't know. Yeah, you never know. All right, folks. Unless we have anything else you'd like to cover, Randy, Alan, then I'd slowly bring us to picks. Sure. Yeah. The only thing I'll mention is that we've got an opening or two on our team at InfluxDB. If you want to recommend Elixir, we're happy to have you. So Yeah, nice. I'm sure some people will definitely look at that. Hey, folks, it's Charles Maxwood, and I just wanted to jump in here and let you know about something that I'm doing. It's free. It's out there just to help you get answers to your questions about the things that you're running into with your career. So if you have questions about how to get further ahead in your career, how to start a podcast, how to get a better job, how to get a raise, how to deal with a situation at work with your boss, or just maybe you're stuck and you don't know where to go next. You know, how do I get from junior to senior, senior to whatever's next? How do I become a speaker? How do I get to the next level? That's what I'm out here to do. So every Wednesday at 12 o'clock Mountain Time, I'm going to be doing a call and it's going to be free, totally free. Go to devchat.tv slash level up and you can register for the call. It's using Zoom's webinar software. So it's pretty straightforward. And what we're going to be doing is I'll do 10 minutes and I'll just show you how I do some form of how I level up. And then we'll just answer questions. And it's not going to be a question and answer like, hey, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? And then I say, Rocky Road or whatever, right? Instead, what we're looking for is more along the lines of, yeah, I have this situation. How do I handle it? I'm trying to figure this thing out. How do I figure it out? I'm trying to stay current. How do I stay current? And if you have any of those kinds of questions, I'll bring you on the call. We'll ask some deeper questions. We'll make sure we get you a solid answer. And I'm really looking forward to helping some people out. There will be no sales, no selling, no nothing on these calls. It is literally just 10 minutes of training and then Q&A. So you can go check it out at devchat.tv slash level up. So 
Alan, why don't you start off as picks? Because we, we talked about this show and you before we, we recorded and you were like, ah, I don't have a pick for this week. So maybe you have now. Yeah, you're lucky I got one actually. <laughs> Rust related, of course. So this one, there's this company, I think they're called Warp, but it's the website's called warp.dev. They have this really cool uh, terminal. So actually, I switched from iTerm2 to Alacrity. I'm pretty happy with Alacrity, but the only thing that kills my Alacrity is that there's no built-in tab support for terminal windows, which just I just can't understand why they don't have it. But maybe I heard you can do some stuff to make it work. Anyways, I kind of like what they have for their terminal. I think it's pretty cool. And so I just started playing with it today. I'm pretty happy with it. It has tabs, of course, but also like the whole thing just runs pretty smooth. And of course, it's built in Rust. So I can't have something not talking about Rust when it comes to me. So that's my Rust pick. Nice. Nice. I'll look at that. I'm still using iTerm, the same as Randy here. So maybe it will take a new, my new place, new place in my heart. Okay, so from, from me this week, I would like to pick a book I've been reading recently. It's called, and now don't let me lie. Of course, I didn't prepare this properly. So it's called Effective DevOps. And I actually kind of like it. Um, I, I saw some reviews which were like, less favorable, but there was some very good reviews on it. And DevOps is actually a term which I think is very, very overloaded in our industry, uh, where people like maybe think of Kubernetes and all these kind of tools and that's DevOps. But I mean, the whole idea of DevOps actually is more about cultural transformation, enabling people to really deliver uh, on what they want to deliver. And that this book actually uh, explains that, I think, very, 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 very nicely and really captures what I think is the, the essence of DevOps. So if you ever were curious about what actually is DevOps and where does it came from, because it also talks a lot about the history, which I found very interesting, um, this book is definitely worth a look. And Randy, do you have anything you'd like to pick beyond sure. your uh, old positions? A, yeah, I've got a couple of uh, non-Elixir specific things. So my favorite tech talk of all time may have been picked on the show before is, I think it's from like the 80s by Guy Steele called Growing a Language. It is just a fantastic talk. Just the mechanics of what he does in it is, is amazing. But also I found it to be one of the best descriptions I've ever heard of how we actually what we're doing as, as software people when we're writing when we're writing code we're actually growing a language to describe the application we're trying to build i promise you, you know you'll go watch the talk and i pretty much guarantee you'll go back to the beginning after the first five or ten minutes and that's all i want to say about it because i don't want to spoil it but it's my all-time favorite tech talk i've ever heard second pick is a youtuber um, actually lives relatively close to where i live which i found out later he's a he's a, a building contractor but he's got a YouTube channel called The Essential Craftsman. And the first video I ever watched of his was called How to Be More Productive. And I found that there was so much application to software development from what he was saying, just things like, you know, batching your work into pieces to help you go faster or making sure you have all your pieces in place before you start. And just, I mean, the video, he's building a wheelchair ramp for his mother's house, but just the 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 knowledge bombs he drops as he's doing it, it's just amazing. A really interesting video. And then, you know, I, I just started watching this channel after that. But that, that one video I found super handy. And then there's one more. It's another YouTube channel. This is more for fun. But it's a channel I watch quite a bit called Cracking the Cryptic. And it's a, a couple of guys from the UK that solve Sudoku Sudoku puzzles, Sudoku variant puzzles, a few other kinds of pencil puzzles. They started out doing cryptic crosswords, but then they found they had a lot more popularity from their Sudoku. When the kind of the all the lockdown started a year and a half ago, they started doing like each of them do a video a day solving a Sudoku. But what's kind of happened with the channel is this whole community of new setters have, has risen up around them. 
And so you get all these beautiful handcrafted puzzles that, you know, just wouldn't exist. Like if, if your only experience with Sudoku is like solving puzzles out of the newspaper, out of, you know, kind of puzzle books off the bookshelf, those are probably computer generated and they're not nearly, I mean, I've turned into a puzzle snob. I didn't used to be, but I am now after watching this channel, but you get these people that create these designed handcrafted puzzles with really clever solution paths or really new ideas in them. Probably the thing I like most about the channel though, is my wife and I have this kind of shorthand. It's like, we'll be talking about, oh, I had a conversation with so-and-so. I got them talking about that thing. It's the thing that you're talking to somebody and they just completely get excited and light up about because it's their passion in life. And it's just, I find it no matter what the topic is, if you if you get somebody talking about that thing, it's so much fun. And uh, for these guys, these puzzles are that thing. Uh, one of the guys, especially Simon, it's just, he'll be working on a puzzle and he just gets so excited about some beautiful piece of logic or something. And even if you don't like the puzzles, just watching him just be so excited about something that he finds amazing is just a ton of fun to watch. So I will get a link to that and post it as well. Uh, that's my picks. Nice. Yeah, I, I agree. It's great to see people be excited about stuff. And that's something I, I always also enjoy with friends, even when they talk about something where I'm personally like, yeah, but when, when people you like, especially are excited about something, it's it's always fun to hear them talk about it. <laughs> My wife tends to do the same with me. <laughs> when I talk about stuff she doesn't care about. <laughs> yeah, but it's fun. Like, I mean, you'll go to some museum or some historical something and you, and you find somebody that works there that actually is excited about the topic and like it engages you, right? You hear them yeah. All. So yeah, if you want one of their puzzles to look at, there's one called the Miracle Sudoku. Watch that video. It's, it's fantastic. I'll try to find that one as well. It's a it's a variant Sudoku, but the constraint, there's two, there's two given digits in the puzzle. And it actually has a unique solution that you can solve. And Simon is solving it. And he, the first part of the video, he thinks he's being trolled. Like, this can't possibly have a solution. And then it's like, oh, but then I could do this. Oh, and then I could do this. And then he figures out how to solve the puzzle. It's like, it's so much fun to watch. I find. Cool. Okay, folks. Then uh, thank you for being here, Randy. If people want to reach me. you, how, how would they do that? Probably best option is I have my own site and blog that I haven't been writing on lately. But that's uh, randycoleman.com. And last name is C-O-U-L-M-A-N. That's probably the best way to find me. And then I've got links to Twitter and GitHub and things like that in there. So, All right. I'll also link that in the show notes. So if you're interested, then that's how you can reach Randy. Then I hope you enjoyed listening to us today, ranting about all kinds of things. And tune in next time when there's an episode of Elixinix. Bye-bye. Bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.